Becoming a full-time writer is not for the faint of heart. Most accomplished and former writers know that it's paved with the path of rejection letters, red ink, and empty bank accounts. I remember back in my college days studying creative writing, one of my professors told me that something like 90% of the story ideas you submit for publication will be rejected. And even worse, most of those queries will seemingly go out into the ether and receive no response as if they didn't exist at all. And if you do manage to get your foot in the door of the publishing world, you're faced with the constant need to generate new, interesting ideas and then hustle to sell those ideas to highly critical and discerning editors. As Harper Lee, author of To Kill a Mockingbird, once said, I would advise anyone who aspires to a writing career that before developing his talent, he would be wise to develop a thick hide. However, there are those who have developed a thick enough hide to push through the criticism and defeat. Those individuals have achieved success in writing not necessarily because they're passionate about the craft, but they become passionate about the subject matter they discuss. On this episode of The Book Builders, on books and authors, we talk to Amanda Vogel, who is one of the lucky ones to have developed an extensive full-time career as a writer. She'll talk about how her master's thesis on fitness and body image sparked an interest in writing and inevitably changed the trajectory of her career. She'll share highlights and lowlights of writing life and how difficult it is to walk the fine line of producing content that sells while also promoting messages she can be proud of. And finally, she'll also share her insights on the evolution of body image in the fitness world. Amanda's work has been featured in publications like Self, Women's Health, Shape, Prevention, Cooking Light, and more. She's also published two ebooks, How to Write a Winning Query and Anatomy of an Article, which are aimed at helping other writers see greater success in print media. I'm your host, Ryan Helverson, and here is Amanda. I didn't think I was going to be a fitness writer when I, you know, kind of graduated from university. And I, in fact, thought after I got my undergraduate degree that, which was in psychology and women's studies, that I was going to go on and um, get a PhD and eventually specialize in helping people with eating disorders. That was kind of where I thought I was going to go with my career. Well, somewhere along the way, uh, I decided I didn't want to do that. And in fact, when I was in university getting my undergraduate degree, I, that's when I started to get into fitness. And I was going to what are, were called aerobics classes back then. So taking fitness classes regularly, just getting into the idea of being in shape and realizing that I had quite an interest in fitness. So that was essentially what changed my career path. And I know a lot of fitness professionals have similar stories. You know, they start out thinking they're going to go in one direction, and then it's their personal interest in fitness that brings them into the fitness industry. And that's what happened for me. So um, I decided that I wanted to get a master's degree in human kinetics and sort of study uh, the sociology of fitness. Um, and my master's thesis was on body image and the role of the fitness instructor. It is this thesis paper that inspired her interest in writing, and like any good content creator, she decided to repurpose the material so that she could share what she'd learned with the fitness community. She zeroed in on print media as her delivery medium. However, she didn't have the first clue about how to get an article published. So she headed to the local library. This was back in the mid to late 90s, long before Google became a researcher's go-to tool, and checked out several books on how to become a published writer. And I started reading those books, and what I think was kind of funny, or discouraging sort of at the time when I was reading the books is 
a lot of the books were saying, you know, freelance writing is actually really competitive and very hard and most people don't make it. So essentially the message in these how-to books was, don't bother. <laughs> and I thought, well, uh, you know, I think I'm going to try anyway. So I figured out how to write a query letter, which is what writers use to pitch their story ideas to editors. And I started sending out queries, and to my delight, uh, editors got back to me and started accepting uh, my story ideas, and that's how I kind of got into the realm of, of writing within the fitness industry. And I soon realized that a few things. One, it was a great way, obviously, to share my master's thesis research, but it went far beyond that. I realized I could write about all kinds of different things, not just what I learned in um, graduate school. And also, it was an opportunity for me to find a, a, a niche in the fitness industry that was a little bit different than what other people were doing. The typical advice when sending out queries is to start small and likely receive no pay for your work. And as you build a portfolio and develop experience, you can branch out to small, paid publications with the goal of eventually breaking into big-time magazines that pay really well. Was this your approach, or did you go a different route? When I was looking at these how-to freelance books, and they were saying, well, it's like super competitive to get into any of the big magazines. Uh, I thought, okay, well, um, I'm going to try anyway, but it would be foolish for me to just focus on that, right? I need to uh, send queries out to a variety of places. So I sent them out to local publications, to publications that didn't pay, to publications that were within the fitness industry, and then also to these big magazines like Shape Magazine and Fitness Magazine at the time I was querying. So um, I just kind of like cast my net wide and to see what I could get. Unlike the experiences of most newbie writers, and also in direct opposition to the insights of my college professor and the advice in the how-to writing books Amanda read, she got several hits almost right out of the gate. She got her first big break writing for smaller local publications that didn't pay for her work, but soon enough she landed paid gigs in some fitness trade publications and eventually went on to fill up her portfolio with bylines and bigger and better paying consumer magazines. Amanda's immediate success is quite uncommon. However, she believes that there were two specific tactics she employed to earn the respect and interest of the editor she contacted. Sometimes uh, you, you will get your article picked up and you'll get an assignment based on the story that you are pitching. But if you have enough persistence and you are showing yourself to be professional and kind of doing, you know, querying in the way that's appropriate and being professional when you're um, contacting editors and so forth, oftentimes they'll start to become familiar with you, right? Your name comes across the email and maybe they like your story idea, but for whatever reason it's not going to work in the publication at that time, but they think that maybe, you know, there's merit to having you write something and they might pick you up as a writer to use for something that you didn't pitch them, which is exactly how I broke into IDEA. This IDEA she's talking about is IDEA Health and Fitness Association, an organization that produces several fitness trade publications. I don't think I pitched anybody about circuit training for IDEA Fitness Edge. I was actually probably pitching stories about body image, right, in my thesis. Um, but the editor at the time decided, okay, actually, she seems like she's a keen writer. You know, let's give her a shot. And so they assigned that to me. In my own experience in the publishing world, and I'm sure you've seen a bit of this also, I've come across aspiring writers who hesitate to make the leap and send out queries because they lack confidence in their writing ability. They often tell me that they compare their skills to those of seasoned vets like you and believe that published writers are born with some incredible gift to create high-level content that they will just never possess. 
I'm curious, when you started out, did you ever experience insecurities in your writing? When I look back on the queries that I wrote at the beginning, or the articles even that I wrote when I was first getting started, I wasn't really that good. I wasn't that good of a writer. No, I'm, I'm serious. I really wasn't. I mean, I, I was a decent writer. I knew how to write, but it is a skill that you learn, okay, especially when you're doing nonfiction-type writing. And uh, I've gotten better over the years simply be out of experience and from working with editors. Editors are tremendously good teachers to writers because they help you kind of see how to make your writing better or different or choose a different voice, all that kind of stuff. So over the years, I've, you know, learned the craft and honed my skills and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but at the beginning, I wasn't that good. But that's the thing is that you, you don't want to let that stop you. If you wait until you're an excellent writer before you send out a query for the first time, you're going to be waiting a long time because, it is, you know, you can start somewhere. Editors will help you get better, but as long as you're, again, professional, you you know have a certain level of skill as a writer, that's kind of the, the place to start. You, you don't have to be perfect. So while we're on the subject of your early work, I'm wondering if you recall any story ideas that you came up with that you're embarrassed about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> lots. <laughs> Most Anything? of them I can't remember, thankfully, but there is one. Um, and that, again, this dates me, but back in um, 1999, oh, that sounds so long ago. This is when I was just getting started. And it, it was going to be the year 2000, and everybody was talking about in the year 2000 how everything uh, was going to, all the computers were going to crash and all this stupid stuff. And it was everything Y2K compatible. That's what they would talk about in terms of technology. So I had some stupid idea about your fitness program being Y2K compatible. And I think it was just like, um, at the time I thought it was so clever and that it was so timely, but it was it was actually two things, just super cheesy and also picking up on something that was a trend that had already been completely overdone at that point. So I was kind of taking something that, you know, was popular, trending, so to speak. Everybody was talking about it, but... Uh, it was it was already done, you know what I mean? I had I had picked up on it at a point where people were sick of it and where it really, it, it wasn't even a good story idea. Like, so, quite often, you might come up with something that you think is the beginning of a good story, but when you sit down, you realize there's actually not much depth to it, and if there's not much depth to how you would actually write the piece or package it, which means how you would organize it and put it together, um, you're left with nothing. And I'm sure whoever I sent that out to, you know, the poor editors who even might have had to look at it, would realize right off the top, like, not only is this cheesy, but there's really no substance behind what this idea is, and that's super important. I'd say that one of the most difficult frustrations a writer faces is the blank page in that cursor that seems to mock you with every blink. To help streamline the writing process, many famous writers have developed some rather unique rituals and habits. For example, Victor Hugo wrote Les Miserables and the Hunchback of Notre Dame in his birthday suit and would ask his valet to hide his clothes so that he couldn't leave his house. Maya Angelou would check into a hotel room that was arranged in a very specific manner, bringing with her legal pads, a bottle of sherry, playing cards, a Bible, and a thesaurus. Do you have any rituals that help you develop story ideas? 
one of the things that I do is go on vacation. <laughs> For some reason, when I'm on vacation it, and I'm not thinking about work, it kind of relaxes my brain and I, it's a lot easier to come up with story ideas. So I usually have, you know, I don't go on very frequent vacations, but when I do, I have a little notebook and I'll write ideas down in there that I can, you know, spend more time on when I get back. Uh, another thing that I like to do is look at um, what's out there already because quite often you can generate new ideas as a spin-off of what currently exists. Not the same idea, but something that maybe takes the discussion further in depth. And a lot of times my ideas come from uh, topics that I'm interested in and just finding new ways to repackage those topics. So um, write about it from a different angle or write about it from a different perspective. So social media is an example. There's lots of different ways that, you know, I like writing on social media and the fit for the fitness marketing, and there's lots of different ways to talk about social media so it doesn't become the same topic over and over and over again. Like many writers, Amanda isn't immune to the story development struggle. However, she says that the process is made much easier because she's found a niche in a subject matter that continuously fascinates her. It's easy for me in the sense that, um, I mean, I like to be challenged with my work, but the easy part of it is that I know my audience really, really well, and so, and I am part of my audience quite often, and it's, in that sense, it's really exciting because I feel like I can really kind of dig in a little bit deeper and go outside the box in terms of what kind of content I want, you know, we might need to be discussing in the fitness industry or people are interested in discussing the fitness industry that maybe somebody who was more of a generalist and didn't know the fitness industry as well as I do uh, might not think to write about or might not think is is something that is ripe for discussion at this particular time so and yeah it's it's I know fitness so it does make it a little bit easier in terms of coming up with story ideas another challenge writers contend with is the infamous writer's block where do you think that comes from if you put pressure on yourself to make it perfect right out of the gate, that's uh, that's like basically how you get writer's block. If you just write what you need to write and then slowly refine it from there, that's how I always think of it. It's like I get the content out there, and some sentences actually, some paragraphs are exactly how get published exactly how I wrote them the first time. But there's lots of parts of the article that will need to be refined over and over and over again. It's almost like molding a piece of clay from a, you know, a block into something that is refined and, and recognizable. This is a little bit like that with writing an article, too. Over the course of your more than 15-year career, you've written countless articles on a variety of health and fitness-related topics for lots of different publications. Do you have a favorite article? I wrote one about uh, social media and body image, and there's really just starting to be uh, research, academic research that's rolling out now about the effects of what we're seeing on social media in terms of uh, fitness, the portrayal of fitness and uh, images of physiques and images of, of fitness and how that ties into either a positive or negative body image for the people who are looking at that social media. So I wrote that piece recently for IDEA and, and I, I mean I was super excited about that because it kind of brought together all my areas of interest and um, just really pressed a lot of my buttons in terms of, of something that I was really interested in. 
Is there anything out there that you're embarrassed or unhappy to be associated with? There have been a few um, kind of high-profile magazines, like consumer-style magazines, where they have a very specific idea of what they want, and they do a lot of over-editing and editing by committee, which means one editor will look at something and go, okay, this is what we change, and then the next editor, oh, and let's change this, and it kind of goes around the room, and everybody has their say about it, and it ends up being pretty much unrecognizable to whatever you wrote. Uh, so I've had a few of those, and it had my name on it, but it didn't feel authentic to anything that I'd written and didn't feel authentic to the way, uh, you know, n- necessarily the word choices or the phrasing that I'd use, which is okay. Sometimes you you select words and phrasing to be more consistent with the magazine than how you would say it. That's fine. So an example is, you know, like we talked about, I have a master's degree in uh, body image and the role of the fitness instructor. So I have a very specific perspective and philosophy on body image, and I don't like the guilting and shaming that often occurs about how, you know, your body is supposed to look or do this to burn calories or fitness is all about how you look. I always stay away from that kind of messaging. I don't agree with it. And there have been a few times where I've submitted an article and then it got edited to the point where that kind of messaging was added, um, unbeknownst to me, and then I saw it when it came out in print. So stuff like that, not really down with. That's not cool with me, and and those are probably the kinds of pieces that I wish I hadn't been involved with. I'd like to conclude this conversation in much the same way it got started, and that's on the subject of body image. Arguably, this has become quite the hot topic today, especially in the age of social media. It's rather common to hear about body shaming or complaints about photoshopping and the unrealistic perceptions of beauty that are presented in the media and how this can negatively impact a person's self-esteem, and in many cases to drastic effect. You started talking about body image in the late 90s, well before the conversation about it became so prevalent. I'd love to learn your thoughts on the evolution of body image, but first, can you explain the research you did for your master's thesis and the conclusions you drew from it? My master's thesis was a qualitative research study based on observations and based on uh, in-depth interviews with subjects and with the fitness instructors who were all part of the study. And kind of the the overlying conclusion was that Women who come to fitness classes, because my my research was specific to women, uh, the the subjects were all female, that women who come to fitness classes do look at the fitness instructor as a strong role model, not only of fitness, but also of body image. Um, But it really depends on uh, the woman according to what what her expectations are regarding body image. Some women, and it was quite often the younger women who were in the study, come to fitness classes and have an expectation about the fitness instructor uh, looking a certain way so that they can aspire to that. Conversely, Amanda explains that other women in the study, who tended to be older, shared a different perspective. They reported feeling relieved and satisfied when the instructor didn't fit the idealized perception of physical perfection. So those were kind of the two main themes that came up, which doesn't lead to any one specific conclusion. They're, They're actually kind of divergent conclusions, but I thought very, very interesting in terms of the different perceptions that people can have in the same class about the person who's leading the exercise. Clearly, there's been discussion of body image and its impact on society for quite some time. 
Have you observed any differences in body image today versus when you wrote your thesis nearly 20 years ago? Great question, and I would love to say that it's getting better, but I think it's actually getting worse, and that's because when I did my master's uh, thesis, there was no social media. So I think there's a whole new level of how people can communicate about body image and fitness today through social media, and unfortunately, it's not always positive. Uh, back when I did my master's thesis, you know, m most of the discussion was around how uh, men and women uh, might uh, perceive their own body image and the body image of others through traditional media like magazines, movies, you know, TV commercials, all that kind of stuff. Um, and now there's that, the traditional media, but there's also the social media, which adds a whole different component to the, the body image conundrum, I guess. Um, and unfortunately, I, I don't see it getting any better. It's getting probably going to get worse before it gets better. You mentioned that one of your favorite recent articles focused on social media and body image. Was there anything that surprised you when you were doing your research for this piece? Um, it, it didn't surprise me. A lot of the research is saying that, you know, the social media, and, and actually there's a lot more research that's come out in the past year since I wrote that body image article for IDEA. Uh, that, that wasn't out when I was writing the piece. And a lot of the research, unfortunately, is saying that um, social media use in terms of looking at things like these Fitspiration-type imagery that is on, you know, shows up on Instagram, Facebook, and so on, um, does have a negative effect on body image. And that's not particularly surprising to me, but I think maybe what is more surprising is how quickly that's come about. I mean, it is so prevalent on social media to see these kinds of images of fitness bodies and the way that fitness is portrayed uh, in, in what I consider to be not a very positive light or a way that tries to shame people or guilt people into being more fit. That happened really quickly. So social media, tradition, you know, as a, as a rule, moves super quickly, and it's sometimes hard to keep up with, and so I think that's where that came from. But, yeah, the, the, the images of how fitness has, is now being portrayed on social media, just kind of within the last maybe three years, maybe four years, has just exploded in terms of, um, you know, the content that you see out there. And, again, a lot of it is not very positive. But I hope, I hope we change that. I hope we move it in a direction where, um, you know, more of the social media content out there can be encouraging to people. And there, there is some research to suggest that people, when they look at images of fitness and healthy lifestyles and fit lifestyles, that they do become more inspired to be fit themselves and to, you know, promote health more in their own lives. So that's extremely encouraging. But just on the other side of the coin, we want people to feel good about that and not uh, feel inspired, but also kind of negative about it, like that they're not good enough and that's why they need to be fit. We want people to feel inspired to be fit because it's a healthy, fun, exciting, uh, rewarding, energizing thing to do. And that's our show. I'd like to thank Amanda for sharing her expert thoughts and guidance on writing, body image, and social media. You can find our ebooks, How to Write Winning Queries, and Anatomy of an Article on her website, www.activevoice.ca. 
And be sure to stay tuned for our next episode, which will be available two weeks from now at thebookbuilders.com and iTunes. This has been The Book Builders on Books and Authors. I'm Ryan Halverson.